Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 34, question mark? <laughs> yes, you're correct. Episode. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm John. And I'm Kelsey, and welcome to the first episode of the new year. Yes, welcome. and the first episode of our new mini-series. Yes, yes. Uh, so this first episode of this mini-series... We're going to be talking about something that I think Kelsey and I love way too much. <laughs> because Just a little bit. Because we're lame as hell. <laughs> uh, I would say that we're lame. But we're not going to be talking about just any books. You know, we're not talking about like Harry Potter or the Farmer's Almanac or, you know, <laughs> something like that. Uh, we're I mean, I, I think we should do an episode on the Farmer's, farmer's Almanac. Just saying. <laughs> I think we should. Uh, maybe, but, uh, so we're going to be taking it and this is going to be more on different occult books, different grimoires or famous works of, uh, occult texts. Yes. This will include everything from, well, not everything, but it'll include all sorts of things ranging from King Solomon and his book which is kind of what we were talking about today. We're going to be talking about some weird books that people can't really explain or translate uh, because they don't know what the hell they are. And then we're going to be talking about lost books of the Bible and then some other miscellaneous, you know, grimoires that have shown up. Okay. Okay. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to two really amazing YouTube channels that I actually found a bit of information on for <laughs> or some information on for this episode and they do episodes on all sorts of things of the esoteric and occult type uh topics mm -hmm. uh the first of which is esoterica and the second is angela's symphonium which i have the links in the notes so uh, when we do editing and posting, we'll drop those into the episode notes. Yeah, so you guys can check that out. Yeah. So as I stated before, we're going to talk a little bit about King Solomon, who was, uh, who he was, and what his interest was in the occult, or how he ties into the occult. We're also going to talk a little bit about his influence on some other works. So Solomon, also known also called Jedediah, I guess. Jedediah? I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. It's old Hebrew. Uh, okay. <laughs> was a monarch in ancient Israel and was the son and successor of David, okay. according to the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament. Yes, guys, we're going to be talking about some biblical stuff here. Yes. So if you're wondering how this has to do with anything occult, Stay tuned. You might be surprised. Yes. He is described as having been the penultimate ruler of an amalgamated Israel and Judea. Okay. The hypothesized dates for his reign is 970 to 931 BCE. After his death, his son... Rehoboa, I don't know how the fuck to pronounce that, 
Uh, if you guys want to look it up, it's R E H O B O A N. Rehoboam, uh, who succeeded him, would adopt a harsher policy to some of the other tribes, resulting in splitting of the Israelites between the kingdoms of the Israeli in the north and the Judea in the south. Okay. Following the split, his paternal descendants ruled over Judea alone. So this is a little bit of history here, in case that's not clear. And like I said, we'll get into <laughs> what the hell this has to do with anything of the occult. Uh, so stay with me. <laughs> According to the Christian Bible... Solomon built the first temple of Jerusalem, dedicated the temple to Yahweh, the God of Judaism, you know, Christianity, and all of that, the Abrahamic faiths. Solomon was portrayed as wealthy, wise, and powerful, as well as one of the 48 Jewish prophets. He is also the subject of many letters referenced and legends our later references and legends most notably is the testament of solomon which is not in the bible as its current standing we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later okay so there was a book of solomon in the bible and it kind of got uh let's just say it got interesting Solomon was born in Jerusalem. He was the second son of David and his wife, Bathsheba. If you don't know the story of David and Bathsheba, so David is one of like the big founding individuals in the Bible, uh, in the Christian Bible, and in parts of Judaism as well. Bathsheba was a woman who he considered beautiful. He saw her, uh, this was a man of the Christian God, I'm just going to say that and not cast any judgment beyond that. But he was a man of the Christian God, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. Okay. You know, he was the king. And he was just like, hey, I like that. And one of his servants was like, yeah, she's married. And he's just like, all right, who's her husband? And uh, so, (laughs) you know, he finds out who her husband is. Well, he brings her in, he seduces her, quote-unquote. I think it was a little bit different than seduction because uh, biblical times and, yeah. Anyways. I was like, that's all. That's what we're going to leave it at. So he does some things with her. She ends up getting pregnant. He finds out he's pregnant. Her husband is a soldier. He brings her husband home. And because of translation issues, it's versus what the original text says. The Bible is a little misleading and confusing, but the Christian Bible says that, you know, David brought him into his castle and told him to go home and wash his feet and lay with his wife. In several places in the Bible, feet was mistranslated and because of pedo versus peta, and actually means penis. So he's, yes, if you're thinking about Jesus watching other men's penises, you are correct. Uh, that is a theory that's out there with that look on your face. Um, <laughs> well, okay. The only reason <laughs> there's a horror-stricken look on my face is um, for my cousin's wedding, they washed each other's feet. And that's where my mind just went to of like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's actually a uh, 
it's actually a possibility that that was mistranslated at some point and that, you know, Mary Magdalene actually watched Jesus, Jesus's penis and then he in turn watched his disciples' penises who were not, you know, in their 30s, like, yeah, they're older, like, they're often portrayed they were actually teenagers, like, they yeah. were in their late teens, uh, which makes it a whole different weirdness, but that's not what this episode's about. We can talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but that that's where my brain no, went. That's the horror-stricken one face I made. I was like, oh my god. You're, oh you're my good. God. But yeah, so so he brings her into his house. Yeah. Or brings the, or her husband into his house, tells him to go wash himself and sleep with his wife, and then sends him out to die on the front lines at a battlefield. Yeah. Then David can look heroic and look like a gracious ruler because, oh, hey, this man's wife is now miraculously pregnant after, you know, her husband was there visiting her not too long ago. And he died in battle serving our country, so I'm going to bring her into the house and make her my own wife. Yeah. Well, she, you know, the first, the, that child dies in childbirth. But yeah, so that's the whole story of David and Bathsheba. So, yeah, because he did it because it was you know, adultery was against big mosaic laws and was a big no-no. So again, why the heck are we talking about this guy? And what does he have to do with books? Well, different story time now. So when, when Solomon was king, and this is actually a story that's directly out of my notes, not just like something I'm paraphrasing from the Bible. When he was king, he was building the temple. Yes. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of different people working on it. Well, one of the young men he had working on it, and he, you know, based based off the story, paid well and fed well, always seemed weaker and weaker. And when he he called the boy and asked him why he was weaker and weaker, and he's like, you know, aren't I paying you well enough? Aren't you eating enough? Do do I not give you enough love to for you to do your job correctly? And he says, the boy says yes, but. Every day after the shift, a demon appears and takes half my food, half my earnings, and ha- and suppresses my soul. This is the demon uh, Ouroboros. Okay. And, and so, you know, King Solomon prayed and one of the archangels appeared, I believe it was Michael, uh, but appeared and yeah, he's like, yo, what, what do I do? And so Michael gave him a ring with a certain insignia on it, saying to, you know, if you cast this at the demon, he will have no choice but to follow you. Yeah. So he calls the boy to him, and he tells the boy to throw the ring at the demon and tell him that he is, you know, then under the control and must come to see King Solomon. Yeah. Well, when he does this... And this is like a, this is a prince demon. Like, it's a high-ranking demon. So when he does this, the demon comes, and, you know, he's begging for him to be set free. He says he'll give him, like, access to all the other demons and everything else. And because of a, and I'm not going to go into the whole story, because the whole story would basically take up the entirety of the book and would take about an hour and a half to two hours of a podcast that we're not doing it for that long. Uh, (laughs) This is true. He takes it, and uh, Solomon ends up 
capturing many demons and forcing them into his servitude. Uh, Not just demons, different spirits of the air and of the sea and everything else and forcing them into his servitude and forcing them to build the temple. Okay. So uh, he then, in some of his notes, you know, wrote down different things that had to do with the what later became known as the Keys of Solomon or the Greater Keys of Solomon, which was later turned into a, a number of occult books and philosophies. Okay. And it's a pseudo or yes, pseudo pseudopigraphical grimoire. I guess that's how you pronounce that. P S E U D E. P-I-G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-L. So we're going to go see the graph. <laughs> also known as a book of spells. And this is attributed to King Solomon. Yeah. Which, and it's, in the version that we see most often nowadays can most probably only be dated back to the 14th and 15th century during the Italian Renaissance. Okay. So it is presented as the typical example of renaissance magic okay it is very possible and probable that these keys of solomon inspired later works such as the 17th century grimoire known as the clavicola salomonius regis (laughs) which translates to the lesser keys of solomon Although there's many differences between the books. Yes. Uh, Many such grimoires attributed to King Solomon were written during the Renaissance, ultimately being influenced by earlier works of Jewish Kabbalism or Arab uh, magicians. These, in turn, incorporated aspects of the Greco-Roman magic of Latte Antiquality. And I'm not pronouncing half these words right. I am not a linguist. I apologize. (laughs) There's several versions of these books exist. And various translations. With everything from minor to very significant differences. The original type of text was probably in Latin or Italian text. An important manuscript is the Bodleian... Librari Macaulay's, an early Latin text, survives in print form dating to 1600. So these are a number of Latin manuscripts. Uh, One of the oldest existing manuscripts uh, is a text in English translation entitled Clavis of Solomon, revealed by Platimon del Platimon the Gracian that dates back to 1572. There's a bunch of other books that I'm not going to go into all the freaking detail and butcher all the names of all these people <laughs> in all these different languages. But just so you know, there are a lot of books uh, that had influence from this or influence from his works. Uh, there are also later works and other legends that say that he also had the capabilities of summoning and harnessing the powers of 
angels. Okay. So, and a lot of, so I, we've talked about on the show before, high magic. Yeah. Uh, so basically, a lot of high magic is influenced from a lot of Solomon's work mixed in with a lot of stuff from uh, Kabbalism, from the Kabbalah. So the Kings of Solomon or Keys of Solomon are typically divided into two books. Uh, it describes the necessary drawings to prepare each experiment, quote unquote. Or in uh, that's the direct translation, but basically it's you know magical practices or magical operations. Unlike later grimoires such as the Pseudomonic Cartia Demonium from the 16th century or the Lamagaton. So this is why I don't, you know, summon demons is because I can't pronounce any of the words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Keys of Solomon have signatures for 72 spirits considered by King Solomon and are constrained by King Solomon in a bronze vessel. As in most medieval grimoires, all magical operations are ostensibly performed throughout the power of God. So the whole idea here is that basically you can summon demons and work with demons and have power over demons if you use the power of the, or, you know, call forth the power of the abrahamic god to oversee them okay because you're protected by said deity so there's different elaborate preparations are needed and numerous different things are needed for these experiments some of which are you know as simple as simple inscriptions some of which are you know off the wall or seemingly off the wall items like you know part of you know a branch of birch that splits off into three different branches or, you know, the middle tail feather of a dove or it's, there's like some really off walls, very specific things needed for some of them. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's like real weird and real specific for no reason. Well, Well, some of them are really obnoxiously specific. Uh, the more, the stronger, basically the stronger the uh, quote-unquote demon or being is, the more specific the items are. Okay. So, but, yeah, so all these books, or the, these two books, like so there's certain texts you have to follow, there's certain incantations you have to follow, they contain conjurations, invocations, and curses to summon and constrain spirits of the dead and demons and like I said in some cases angels uh and other texts that are based off of Solomon's work. Okay. Uh it also describes how to find stolen autumns items, not autumns, autumns not a <laughs> you know, stole stolen fall you know, stolen parts of the year. Uh <laughs> I mean it kind of felt stolen this year, but <laughs> That's a story for a uh, different day. That's, that's been a whole decade thus far. Yes. For uh, become invisible, gain favors and love, and so on. So it's like, hey, you summon this demon, this does this, this does this. And this was book one of the two 
The second book describes various purifications, which the operator or you know exorcist should undergo, how they should clothe themselves, and how the uh, magical implements used in their operations should be constructed. So this will be like, you know, if you have to do a certain type of altar for this, how to go about making the altar, what should be, you know, inscribed on the altar, and all that jazz. So the main reason why I wanted to cover this first is because, like I said, this is a cornerstone of a lot of occult books, occult philosophy, and such, yep. and very much builds onto a lot of other books that are used later on or that are created later on. Yes. You know, a lot of people like Crowley have used these things and experimented with them and have then gone on to make their works. Yes. I don't know. What are your thoughts on all this, Kelsey? It's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> Demons in general or... I think that there's good and bad in the world, but I think well, the stories are horseshit. I, That's just me. I would say certain parts of the stories are lost in translation. Yes. So, because I mean, like, like you have magic or practices that involve, you know, nature itself, and then you have things that involve theology, and they use similar but different types of energy. Yes. But I think you also have beings that, you know, are labeled as something that are can be both harmful and helpful. I mean, you yeah. look at other theologies around the world and you have demons that are not necessarily bad. Yep. Uh, I mean, hell, the Greeks saw demon, used the word demon as just like a spirit. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily good or bad. It was just a spirit, a thing. So... I mean, I think the thought is interesting. I think it is. Yeah. Parts of it is plausible. Yeah. Well, to use. Like, like Aramiki says, there's a little bit of truth in that whole legend. Some of it's true, some of it's made up, and some of it's been misconstrued because of the game of telephone we've been playing for centuries and centuries. And then you have yep. the whole political game at the time that this is recorded actually physically recorded so you have to look at all the parts and kind of go mm, I don't think that this part of this actually happened I think this might have happened but I, mm, that that seems a little fishy like so you have to kind of look through it with look at it with a grain of salt yeah you know I can see that I can definitely see that. I think it's a very interesting thought and concept. Yes. Definitely something to possibly look into. Now, I will say this for anyone who's interested in delving into any sort of practice with any sort of spirit or demon, as with everything, take steps to know what you're doing first. Don't jump into anything, regardless of how practiced or how talented you think you are with something yep make sure you know what the hell you're doing yes 
Yes, correct. Um, yeah, that's all I've got for this episode. Okay. Okay. So next, next episode, we're going to kind of be delving into some different grimoires and some weird ass books. <laughs> okay. I don't know. One, so trust me when I say weird ass books, I mean there's a couple that are believed to be esoteric in nature. There's one specific that's believed to be esoteric in nature that we don't know what it says. Nice. We don't know how to translate it and it was like medieval England. It was okay. written in medieval England and we have no idea what it says. If there was some sort of cipher that was in place to be able to translate it at some point. No one can figure it out. They've had the, like, they've had top linguists look into it, and no one has any clue what it says. Right on. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Awesome sauce. I, mean, I don't know if it's awesome sauce, but it's something. <laughs> Are you ready to do our cards, the first draw of this year? Yeah. I am, actually. I don't know why when I said that it sounded so weird. It did. It did not sound like you are very enthusiastic. What did what did you pull first? Well, so that was kind of a, I think, part of why I said, yeah. So, <laughs> so I pulled the Three of Swords. Okay. So the Three of Swords is a, I would say, not great one. Okay. Uh, I mean... None of the cards are bad, but basically it's so in the dis- or the card itself, it's typically just displayed as a heart being pierced by three swords. It has to do with some sort of grief, emotional trauma, or sadness or heartbreak. It can also mean some sort of emotional release when you've suffered a major setback or loss. So it's saying that, you know, but so it's saying like, hey, you know, stuff's been messed up or hey, you know, things happen and it's okay to have a good cry. It's okay to yeah. release those emotions. Uh, however, it is also essential to continue to focus on the path ahead to push forward. And, uh, you know, you may run the risk of being absorbed into these emotions but you don't want to lose sight as to what your goal is ahead. You want to make sure you're pushing ahead and moving forward to the future. Because while you may be overwhelmed with all these emotions and all this negativity that's been hitting you from whatever, there's a path ahead. And it's always good to push ahead and to push to the future. Okay. Okay. What about you? I pulled the nine of cups again. <laughs> <laughs> I keep pulling this card. I think you should probably meditate on that card. <laughs> like, like I and keep reflect. keep pulling this card about basically. I think you should probably meditate on it. Like, I'm at the end of my struggle. <laughs> like, which isn't wrong 
Like, you know, there's an end in sight with my job. I'm nine months out from my wedding. Like, and all that is there with that. And all the, um, the, how do I want to word this? Um, the drama that comes with planning a wedding. And for me, I'm extending an olive branch to a lot of people in my family. Um, as kind of like the last coup de gras before I cut ties with you and you have, I'm, I'm done type thing. You have used that word like three times today. What? Coup de gras? Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, my dad and I were actually like, talking about the wedding yesterday. Um, did you use the word Kuchiga during that, too? Mm, like, you literally, you used that twice before <laughs> recording, and now you've used it during recording. Um, I use shindig with my dad. Um, I know that my grandma would want me to extend this olive branch, so therefore I'm extending this olive branch. But that's, yeah, that's, that's about it. But... That's that, that's an interesting two card poll. What would they yeah. mean together? <laughs> like just suck it up and push through because you got shit to do. <laughs> and you'll and you'll be better. You'll be a better self at the end. Type yep. thing. That's that's what I just have to keep reminding myself is be a better person at the end of all of this yep. yeah I've, I've i've pulled that card like the last two or three episodes that we've done this <laughs> like, i think you should either shuffle better or i th- i'm gonna shuffle better i'm gonna have zach shuffle them next time but it i mean it's hard to find joy after loss you know that as much as i do so yeah that it's, it's gonna suck, and there's a lot of emotions involved for the next couple of weeks. Also, it makes a lot of sense, because we are technically in the last Mercury retrograde of 2022. Yeah, we literally went through New Year's in a retrograde. Yep. Which my phone has been buggy as shit. <laughs> so, that's why I like... No, like, 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 seriously, I've had to restart my phone multiple times because it keeps getting this weird bug where like i'll unlock it and then it gets stuck on the screen between locking and unlocking that's real weird that's really weird it's like no yeah we're on mercury and retrograde and the full moon is friday <laughs> so and i actually posted on our facebook page earlier yes, yes i posted something on our facebook page Yes, uh, you did. I the saw that. Moons for the coming year. Yes. Yes. So just be careful with us going into a full moon and this is Mercury and Retrograde. So double check your communication, your travel, all that shit. Double check yeah, it, triple Mercury's check it. Gatorade. It is. You're gonna have a lot of miscommunications. So have fun everybody <laughs> for the next two weeks. <laughs> Yay! Ow. Just hit my hand on my desk. So yeah. So this wraps up the first episode of the new year. So please rate, review, and subscribe, and please tell a friend. 
join me on Facebook, Instagram. I'm the hands that you see on YouTube. I'm actually kind of behind on YouTube. Um, but yeah, if you have a book recommendation for this new year, um, or if a topic that you want us to cover, you can email us at thewaverdragons at gmail.com. Yeah. So welcome to the new year. Mercury is in Gatorade, and we have a full moon this week. <laughs> so good luck, everybody, in your endeavors this next couple of weeks. <laughs> so to infinity and, and beyond. beyond. <laughs> yep. Until uh, then, I'm <laughs> I said till that I'm jelly. (laughs) I just heard and I'm Kelsey. Bye. Bye.